Good morning. Grace and peace to you. We have opportunity to show our love at this time. The scripture says to love one another. Uh, with Sister Nancy's situation and her moving, um, this isn't just the idea that she's just picking everything up and moving to another place because she is leaving her daughter's household and going to make it her own household. So she's having to leave behind a lot of stuff, right? And kind of restart. Like she's setting up housekeeping. So this is one reason we're trying to help Nancy out to do this. So uh, please take a look at the, sh the sheet back there and get signed up to help her out uh, to make this move. And she'll be with Brittany, right? And the little one. So uh, please uh, jump in there and help Nancy out. I didn't know how to go about this lesson. I wanted to talk about God. And the greatness of God and the goodness of God and the love of God. And I didn't want to have 25 scriptures here for us to turn to. And so the Lord, I believe the Lord led me to these scriptures today. In particular, we're going to start with Psalm 8, and then we're going to end up in Hebrews, where the Hebrew writer uses the same psalm in a different way, actually. On the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, <coughs> there is a famous fresco by Michelangelo that you've probably seen. Maybe you don't know what it, where, where it really is. And you see this picture. It's a picture painted of God kind of laying back, reaching out with his hand. And then on the other side is Adam also reaching back with his arm. And I don't know if they're actually touching or they've just touched. And it's a painting of his depiction of creation when God made man. There is a time, and it's hard for us to comprehend this, when the human race did not exist. There was no earth. There were no people. There was a time when there was no you. Right? You were not here. We assume our own existence at our peril. Just to think we deserve to be here. Some people think, you know, kind of we've always been here. They've never even been taught or thought or reflected on. Why are we here? What is this all about? And I think uh, probably... You know, just in my, my own limited observations and opinions, no other generation than today's generation, I'm meaning all the people living, need to ponder that than the people alive now. That we have so far drifted away from God 
and got caught up in our own thing, pursuing life in our own way, that we don't even know the purpose we're here, what our origins are. And it's like something that if you run across it somewhere, uh, maybe some old thing your grandparents had in, in the basement, and you look at that and say, what on earth is this for? You don't know what it was used for. To them, it was something very valuable, some kind of a tool or something. But you don't know what it is. And it's something that we don't know about it, its purpose. We will either misuse it, discard it, or break it. And that's what we, I think, as a human race, have done with ourselves. We're just terribly broken because we don't know why we're here or what our purpose is. And so I'm trying to pull together a lot of things, and part of this is just to get you to reflect, you to think, you to ponder, you to consider God, yourself, and your own existence. Just what is my purpose for being here on the earth in the place where I am right now? Why am I here? And am I fulfilling that purpose? So let's go to Psalm 8. I'm just going to read this by way of introduction. And then we're going to jump right to Hebrews 2. And again, I encourage you to read along. I mentioned in the Bible study this morning and going to Hebrew, or I'm sorry, Matthew 13, where Jesus took the quotation, I believe it was from Isaiah, people have ears to hear but don't hear and eyes to see but they can't see. And I was used, used the phrase, when you read the scripture and study the scripture, do you have eyes that hear Do you have eyes that hear? When you read the word of God, are you really hearing it? And is it really going into your mind and heart? Or are you just reading words? Once again, we encourage you to read and study the scriptures on your own. That's where you get close to God. It really is. Psalm 8. Just listen to David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet, you've made him a little lower than God. and You crowned him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, 
how majestic is your name in all the earth. The scripture used many words to describe God. I think the Holy Spirit does that because there is no single word to describe God. He's too big, he's too wonderful, he's too marvelous. He's too far beyond our comprehension. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Truly, what is man that you're mindful of him? Because you are God. It's the question we need to answer. Hebrews 2. And again, I searched and searched, and I think the Lord led me here to use this psalm. The Hebrew writer uses part of this psalm to reflect on God and man. What is it all about? For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Kind of introducing a thought in the middle of a thought. I didn't have time to go through, starting with Hebrews 1 and 1, which is where the thought begins. But I am going to read Hebrews 1 and 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And that's basically for this reason. Because Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, conquered sin, and has gone back to live at the right hand of the Father. And because of the salvation that he has brought. Something new had happened. The writer of Hebrews understands and asserts. Something that had been prophesied, something that was to come, and it has happened before, you know, in his lifetime. And he says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. This is bigger. This is bigger than Sinai. This is bigger than the law of Moses. This is bigger than the high priesthood of Aaron. This is bigger than Noah and the flood. This, if you will, is even bigger than creation itself. God has come to be one of us and to take us home and, yes, even to recreate. This is big. And so he says, we have to pay close attention. We don't want to miss this. What you've heard. Of course, he's talking about the preaching they've heard sitting uh, in various places, various assemblies probably, or having some come and preach to them and teach them and tell us these things. Remember, they didn't have 
the wonderful blessing of a book like this, which we should really see that as a great blessing to have the Word of God right there. We can have it in our own homes. We can read it whenever we want to virtually. So many times we just ignore it and we walk by it. He says we must pay special, close attention to this so we don't drift away. Drift back into the world, back into believing Satan's lies, back into self-centered living, drift away from Christ Jesus and the grace and truth which he brought. Away from the purpose for which God created us. You don't want to miss it. Because if you miss the purpose for which God created you, you'll miss it all. You'll be off thinking, well, this is about a career, get a great education, money, watching sports on TV, playing sports, you know, whatever it is. You'll think, uh, you know, I can go to church once in a while, but it's about something else. Nothing wrong with those things. But you see, that's not our purpose for being here. Those things are not our purpose. Verse 2, he says, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty... And here, really, the writer kind of begins his comparison, which continues throughout the whole book, comparing the Old Covenant against the New Covenant, the priesthood of Aaron against the priesthood of Christ Jesus, the Melchizedek priesthood. And he's talking about the law that came on Sinai. And he says that law was binding on those folks. And as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I didn't come to get rid of the law. He says, I came to fulfill it. But he's comparing. He says, just as that law was not changed, it was unalterable, and there were penalties under it which people suffered, so we need to pay closer attention. And he says in three, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Escape the wrath of God. Drift away from the blessings of God. You can't escape God. There's just no way to do it. So great a salvation. I don't think we can comprehend it. These are some of the things we try to grasp as we read the scriptures. And and so much of this just comes in the volume. I'm going to use that term, and I want to scare you, in the volume of the scriptures that you read and understand. Because there's a little bit of it here in Isaiah. And there's some of it back there in 1 Samuel. And then there's some of it here in Hebrews. And some of it's in 2 Thessalonians. And yes, there's some of it in the Song of Solomon. That's the way God made the book. There's no place you can go and put your finger on everything. It's just not possible. He talks about searching for him, doesn't he? 
Well, we have to search for him also in the word of God. It's a great salvation. And again, we reflect and say, why, why did God even start this in the first place? When God was God, if you will, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, drifting through eternity, perfect joy, perfect love, no problems, no one to think about, no one to be concerned about, okay, no one to grieve their hearts. Everything was beautiful. Everything was lovely. Everything was peaceful. And somewhere, sometime, I don't know if you can say sometime in eternity, I don't know how that works, there was a decision made. Let's make man in our image. God, what are you doing? What is this for? Why? And I don't have all the answers. And this is part of us searching for God and reading the scriptures and just discovering these things for ourselves. These things, some of these you can't even explain. All you can do is just wonder, like David in Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him? When I look at all the rest of what you've made. Why, why are you choosing him? A great salvation. You now we talk about life eternal. The scriptures talk about everlasting life. But you read deeper and you, and, you, and you go further and you understand that life is with God. You can't imagine being in the presence of Christ Jesus. That's the promise. And joy and peace. Nothing to think about. Nothing to worry about. No anxiety. Who wants no anxiety? No doctor's test next week. You know? Don't have to go fill up the gas tank. Don't have to pay this bill. Whatever. Much more than that. Much more than that. But this is the offer. We don't want to neglect this salvation. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. He says, we heard this from his own messengers, from the apostles, of course, first of all, and then others who were designated as evangelists went out with this message, proclaim the gospel, the good news. The Christ has come, the Messiah has come, there is salvation, there is a life ahead, there is hope. Believe in him, follow him, serve him, and you won't believe what a great salvation you're going to receive. Is a gift to mankind by the blood of the Son of God, even as we observed this morning. 
Why would God do that? For a people who for the most part had turned their back on him after he created them. Didn't want anything to do with him. Even his own people, the Hebrews, you saw what he had to do with them. Even if he was maintaining a remnant himself, finally the tribe of Judah had to be taken into captivity of Babylon and his own temple destroyed because of their evil. And God didn't give up. What kind of a God is that? He had a purpose. He said, I'll fulfill my purpose. He said, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this for my own name. Even if you don't want me, I am not going to give up on you. That's love. Wow. He speaks here about the words spoken and then confirmed to those of us who heard with God performing miracles, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God wanted the people to get it. God wants us to get it. He wants us to know this is a message from him. It is real. It is true. It is going to happen. God cannot lie. This great salvation. More certain than anything we know in this life. The gospel is true. And God will keep his word. Verse 5, for he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. We mentioned this actually in our Bible study this morning. There is a world to come. And we've talked before about the manner, what what that's going to be like. Just go to heaven and be on the clouds. That there are going to be new heavens and a new earth, as Peter says in 2 Peter. This says there is a world to come, doesn't it? And he says that world to come is not going to be subject to the angels. And then he goes on to quote from Psalm 8, not all of it, but part of it. And he's using it now not to talk about the creation that David is talking about in Psalm 8, as he is reflecting, looking at the moon, the stars. But now, as he says, the world to come concerning which we are speaking, he is talking about the world to come since Christ has come. The new world. And he's using part of Psalm 8. Interesting. Angels who have been with the Almighty, faithfully served Him, never sinned, will not have a part in ruling this world to come, whatever that is. 
We're not given a lot of the specifics. We talked about that this morning. Whatever that is, they will not be ruling it. It's going to go to the mankind. Sinful mankind, the mankind that had to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, and we continue to stumble and fall, it's to man that this world is going to be given. And that goes clear back to the beginning. And we really need, again, to see and grasp the whole of Scripture, the whole umbrella of the Word of God, that in the beginning, when man was made in the image of God, he was given dominion, wasn't he? Dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Go and subdue the earth. Well, we didn't do a good job of that because right away we listened to Satan and we gave our allegiance to him when we ate of the wrong tree. And so it's been a struggle ever since, right? And God cursed the ground. And what we have to see is when Christ comes and he's talking about the world to come as a restoration of the right of mankind to rule. And it begins with Christ Jesus. And those who are his. They will be the ones to rule the world to come. Verse 6. One is testified somewhere. I love the way he says that. Somewhere. Psalm 8, but he didn't even say the psalmist or David. What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hand. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. And that's right there where he ends his quotation from that psalm. We can look at this two ways. I learned a neat little thing about scripture. I don't have time to share it all with you, but every scripture you read, one of the things you should ask is, what does this tell me about God? And what does this tell me about man? Every scripture you read. There's more to it. But. And as we look at this, if we look at it from the standpoint of man... All right, we, we can start to get all puffed up. What is man that you remember? Him, the son of man, you're concerned about him. You've made him a little lower than the angels, but that's, you've crowned him with glory and honor, appointed him over the work of your hand, made all things subject to wow. And that is a great and marvelous thing. And that's part of what we're trying to say. But then let's reflect and say, what's this tell me about God? What is man that you remember him? God. That you are concerned about him. You have made him a little lower than the angel. You have crowned him. You have appointed him. You have put everything in subjection under his feet. Who's the one in charge here? Who's the one dishing out all the goodies? 
It's God. And we're the recipients of the blessing, of the grace. That ought to drive us to our knees. We're nothing except God has done this for us. Nothing. What is man that you are mindful of him? What am I, God, that you bless me the way you do? It's got nothing to do with me. It's all because of him. God has chosen. This was a, a thought I had as I put this together. God has chosen to intertwine his eternal future with mankind. Since he created us, the human race, we will ever be with him, those who are saved. He's going to share the rest of his life, eternal life, with some of humanity. What a gift. He has chosen not to be alone as God anymore. Ephesians 3, I see we're kind of over. I don't know. Mike, did you have an extra long prayer this morning? Or maybe it was the announcements or the songs, whatever. All right, Helen will get home for lunch. Don't worry. But this is so exciting, I hope, to you. It's so important. We can only explain this all by one word, and I've said this already, love of God. Ephesians 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, I want you to know it, but then he says what? Which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I think there, that might, that might be close. Closest scripture there is in a nutshell to saying what is our purpose? That we as humans also might be filled with with all the fullness of God to be like him. As we have received, so we are to give, right? Freely you have received, freely give. Just be like me. We move on back to Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. For we do see him, talking again about Christ Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. See, he's the forerunner. He's the last Adam. He's the one to bring this to pass for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. And so he comes in the flesh, lives the perfect life, conquers death, conquers Hades, comes back from the dead, is the right hand of the Father, and he says, come on. Come and I'll share all of this with you. Believe in me, serve me, follow me. Take my yoke. 
it's not hard. For it was fitting for him for whom for all things and through whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. If you're a Christian, you are one of the many sons that he's bringing to glory. Yes, yes you are. And Christ was the first perfected our salvation. God perfecting the author of our salvation, Christ Jesus, through suffering and death. He tasted of everything that we do, save sin, and paved the way for this life. Man will live because, live and reign because of Christ Jesus. Closing out in 2 Timothy. Therefore, you know, Paul's in prison here. He's suffering because of the gospel. He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. He says, don't be. The world, the world might think it's a bad thing to be in prison. Of course, everybody gets lumped into the same group. He says, I'm here for the word of God. He says, I don't care about that. That's a great thing. Don't be ashamed of me. This is where God wants me right now. And he says, join me in suffering. Don't be afraid. Get out there. Speak that word. Go for it. Who has saved us, there's that thought again, and called us with a holy calling to serve him, to live righteously, to live in holiness. Not according to our works. We weren't saved because of what we've done but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. God's choice, his purpose. I'm going to make a being, I'll call him man, and then I'm going to raise him up to share my godliness, to share eternity with me. What is man that you're mindful of him? Verse 10, But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. Yes, we still die, but in Christ, death is dead. Understand that in Christ, death is dead. The soul will not die in Christ. Abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, something we're studying on Wednesday night. Immortality, not subject to death anymore. Spiritual body received, 1 Corinthians 15, when we raise from the dead. And go be with the Lord forever. Again, I want you to consider and ponder and meditate on these things on God, on man. What is he doing? What is your purpose? Why are we here? Dig into the scriptures. Reflect on these, and maybe that will be the starting point for you. And on this great salvation that he is offering. Don't be distracted by the world, by Satan's lies, by all the, the trinkets 
and the baubles and the lights out there in the world that says, oh, this is great. No. Pay attention to the Lord. How shall we live? What will happen if we neglect such a great salvation? Maybe for you this morning it's time to accept Jesus and and have this salvation. We're ready to assist you to to baptize you into Christ so you might become one of his, one of his sons. If you are a Christian and you've been getting off the track, going the wrong direction, looking at the wrong things and having your purpose in life being other than fulfilling God's will and being filled with the fullness of God, you need to think seriously about that. You need to get back on track. And if we can help you with that right now, we'd be happy to pray with you. Maybe another time, but don't let it pass. If the Word of God has cut you to the heart this morning and the Spirit of God now is working with that, don't resist Him. Don't delay. While we stand and sing, Brother Don.